You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a free twenty dollar wager with your first deposit. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Here we are again on Monday evening. Most of you listen to it on Monday evening or on Tuesday, Wednesday, however you listen to Gators Breakdown. But uh, here we are, Monday evening, live on YouTube. And joining me as he does every Monday evening is Will Miles, co-host here. You can find his site at readingreaction.com or on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, it's a couple of days later, and uh, it doesn't feel any better, man. doesn't feel any better after that. Uh, I mean, it's still it's, it's disappointing, disappointing loss. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every stat that comes out, you're like, how in the world did we lose that game? Like, you just look at it, you know, you and I, before we came on, I was rattling off a couple of things and just laughing because it's like, you know, that Florida had no business losing that game. LSU really had no business winning it. It just so happens that those close games, those one-score games that Dan Mullen's been able to pull out the last couple of years, I think he was 7-1 and one, his first two years in one-score games, both one-score games this year have gone the way of the opponent and you know that that's the danger in those close games and and we had talked about I want to say like a month ago you know one of the things I'd said on here was that I expected one of these games to be close and I didn't know which one but I expected one of them would be and you know I didn't pick any of them to be close because all the teams were inferior at least supposedly inferior but uh, obviously LSU came up and bit Florida and changes the calculus, right? I mean, you still have the SEC championship to play for, but the uh, the national championships out the window, and there's still an opportunity probably for Trask to sneak in and win the Heisman if he has a big if he has a big day on Saturday. And certainly, I think these guys probably have a bitter taste in their mouth after the game against LSU. So I expect him to come out and play pretty well against Alabama. But uh, obviously, that the the Alabama buzzsaw is coming, and and you know we'll see. I mean, the, I think. There's some question as to whether Florida took LSU for granted. I don't think they're going to take Alabama for granted. So this is a pretty good measuring stick for where the program is at this point. And, you know, hopefully it's a it's a good measuring stick for the Gators. Yeah, you know, we've talked about the word progress, whether it be Jim McElwain, whether it be Dan Mullins since we started this. And uh, look, right now it doesn't look like it, but you somehow go out there and win Saturday and win an SEC championship. That is that is progress. And that would be crazy coming a week after losing to a – all right, Will, you said inferior teams. LSU is inferior. You should not have lost that game, and and you lost that game uh, there. So you play that game ten more times, and Florida wins that game. But uh, you know what? You got to show up when you're supposed to show up. That's part of the that's part of the game, and uh, Florida did not do that Saturday. So we'll get into uh, all that. We'll get Will's thoughts on the games, uh, our – our, we'll continue some thoughts of the hot button topics coming out of that game uh, as well. And then we'll kind of, you know, we'll look ahead a little bit. There's still a lot to play for. Uh, you know, 
can't give up on it. Still, still got to support the team. <laughs> we'll, we'll sit there and we'll watch that game Saturday. And I'm sure some people will talk themselves into finding some way how Florida will win that game, Will. But <laughs> we'll, uh, I know it doesn't look good. No, it doesn't feel good uh, right now. It uh, That's just kind of the nature of the beast right now. But uh, we'll have, we'll try and talk, you know, as hopefully not too bad, too negative all, all the way through. But it was it was not pretty. It was ugly. And a lot of the conversation deserves to go that route. Yeah, I mean, again, I think we need to go back and look at what we thought about at the start of the season. I think people thought Florida had an opportunity to win the East, but you also knew they were going to have to get over that Georgia hump, and you knew that Alabama was going to be a, a big test coming up if you were able to get past Georgia, and, that, and that's exactly what we've seen, right? I mean, Florida is a flawed team. They are not a perfect team, but I also think it's worth going back and looking at history a little bit. One of the things that I know Dave Wonderlook over at Gator Country, and then I pointed out a little bit too, is that oftentimes coaches have a dip in their third year right their their team isn't quite as good in the third year as it was before so Spurrier starts out nine and two in 90 10 and two in 91 and then back to nine and four in 1992 so not a huge dip but certainly a step back and then 93 94 95 and 96 was when he found his quarterback and really started to bring in the high level guys who were going to turn that program into what it became under Steve Spurrier if you look at Ron Zook 2002 okay eight and five 2003 eight and five 2004 seven and five and he got canned and that you know obviously didn't get a whole lot better but brought in a ton of recruits but even urban meyer 2005 nine and three 2006 13 and one with a national title and then 2007 nine and four um you look at will muschamp in his third year four and eight so you know coming off that 11 and two season in 2012 you look at jim McElwain, four and seven in his third year coming off the 10 and four nine and four so eight and two this year is not it's right in line with what you should expect with a coach, the quality of Dan Mullen. I know there's been a lot of criticism of him. It's amazing how the criticism doesn't come in the games when, uh, you know, at least the head coach criticism doesn't come when they're winning by a couple of scores against inferior opponents. You lose one to LSU, all of a sudden the criticism comes out. And, you know, Mullen has flaws. I don't think there's any doubt about that. At the same time, Eight and two in a third year is pretty good job by a coach, um, but that means that you know has he just prolonged it and the 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 slide is going to come next year or is he going to do like Urban Meyer and and Steve Spurrier did and build off of not having that third year dip and really advance the program forward? That's what we're looking for next year. And the game against Alabama is really kind of a springboard, right? I mean, some of the young guys mm-hmm. who who have gotten out there and gotten some experience are going to get their feet wet in the SEC championship game, whether or not they win the game or not. If they keep it close, if they get in a tense battle, they play a close game, they see what they need to do to become Alabama. Maybe that's a good thing, especially if, uh, if Mullen can get the same level of quarterback play out of Emory Jones that he did, that he has out of Kyle Trask this year. Obviously that's a huge ask, right? Trask has played really, really well, but um, at the same time, that's what the Gators are going to have to do to compete with the Georges and the Alabamas of the world. Absolutely, absolutely there. So, yeah, interesting uh, third-year <laughs> dips there for the two best uh, coaches in Gator history and and how it kind of relates uh, to, to what we're seeing now, you know, how much you want to uh, translate that. Uh, that's up to you, but uh, still, I mean, a disappointing, disappointing for uh, Saturday. He's not so encouraged by my pointing this out. <laughs> uh, no, nah, I'm not. <laughs> uh Man. Hey, I don't yeah. blame you, man. This was a gut punch, right? I mean, this is yeah. one of those where you felt like you had the game in a lot of different places. You felt like when they went up 31 to 27 that they had an opportunity to really sort of step on their throat, and they didn't do that. Um, you thought when they got the stop, obviously, with the penalty that then yeah. prolonged the drive, you thought they had the opportunity then. 
they got the ball back, I think, with like two and a half minutes left, and you thought, or maybe five minutes left, and you thought, all right, here's Trask's opportunity to drive down the field. Isn't able to do it. And then with 27 seconds left, they get the ball back. You're like, oh, no way are they going to be able to do it. And then pop, pop, pop right down the field and then miss the field goal. So, you know, I mean, the reality is, is that kind of stuff happens to Tennessee and Kentucky all the time. So it was a little bit of payback probably because we get those sorts of wins against those teams all the time where maybe you don't deserve to win, but you're able to you're able to pull it out. And LSU got one of those this weekend and, and it sucks. But you know what? That's the reality is I'm I don't think any of us thought that this Gator team was elite. We thought that they might mm-hmm. be able to sneak through some of the, you know, if they if they were able to come out and play their A game against Alabama, then they were going to be able to at least compete. And that still exists. It's just that, you know, they needed more than their D game against LSU. And and there's no doubt this one stings a little bit. Yep, yep, yep. So we'll look about we'll, we'll look ahead uh, a little bit too, uh, as we kind of just wade through the uh, the, the performance uh, of Saturday. Get, get some of Will's thoughts, of course. You know, I got to talk with Graham and Nick yesterday about some of these uh, issues here. We'll get Will's thoughts uh, on a lot of that uh, as well. But yeah. Lots and lots to talk about. Still previewing the trip to Atlanta uh, this week and uh, what you know what's going to happen. Hopefully, find some way to uh, to go. As as we'll say, play the A game. Play the A. You go play the A game, then you can still go have fun uh, out there and watch that game. So, uh, well, before uh, before we move forward, uh, of course, big story throughout Gator Nation uh, right now. Keontae Johnson, of course, uh, Florida basketball player, and the scary incident that happened versus FSU. Uh, there and really scary stuff. And of course, Monday, couple, I mean, maybe conflicting reports, I guess, if you want to say. We'll start with uh, of Florida's official message here uh, saying you know, Keontae Johnson has been successfully transferred as planned from Tallahassee Memorial to UF Health in Gainesville. He continues in critical but stable condition, is following simple commands and undergoing further tests. That came out not long after uh, USA Today had a conversation with his grandfather who said he had been put in a medically induced coma. So, you know, maybe conflicting reports there. Uh, of course, we don't have a whole lot of information to go on. You know, it's according, I guess, how you want to define, you know, the stable condition, but following simple commands and also being in a medically induced coma. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I have no idea uh, what that stuff means. But, of course, you know, thoughts prayers, condolences to go out to him and his family. It's a scary time right now. Of course, you know, for everybody out there right now, we just don't know enough, and probably nor should we, uh, going out there. I know we all want more information, uh, but we'll have to sit and sit and wait our time until they're ready to release uh, that type of information. But a scary, scary incident on Saturday, Will, and uh, I guess you know more of the scary part about it is just not knowing, and usually maybe if it was good news, you might would know something by now, but I think waiting on the news kind of just puts the, the the bad thoughts in everyone's head. Yeah, I mean, I, I hesitate to speculate. I, I don't want to say anything because I don't know anything, right? I'm not I'm not close to the situation. And certainly as, as news is released and as the family wants news released, you suspect that we will hear that. Um, there actually was a really nice story today, though, by Chris Harry. So at Gators Chris on mm-hmm. Twitter, he had a really nice story about Keontae and his family and sort of growing up and his mom was going through cancer and sort of the way he dealt with that and how he chose coming to Florida to play basketball and, and sort of, you know, some of the criticism that he got when he first came to Gainesville and how his parents came down and sort of lit a fire under him to get him going. It was it was a good, really good read, so I'd encourage people. That's at Gators Chris, Chris Hare, if you want to go check out something about Keontae. And then and then Jordan Dorman, um, she's written something for my site before. She seems to be in contact with the family as well. So if you want to keep updated, it sounds like those two people should be able to uh, 
points you in the right direction as the information comes out. But like I said, really, really scary. I mean, it was on the TV, but I wasn't really paying attention when it happened. But obviously, once the uh, once the commotion started, you sort of paid attention. You hoped it was just sort of a fainting episode or something like that. Um, based on what we're hearing from the hospital, it's probably not true. But again, you know, without <laughs> without having access to medical records or anything like that, it's just speculation at this point. So just like you said, send all your thoughts and prayers towards the family. And uh, hopefully he gets better, has a complete recovery. You know, basketball is sort of secondary at this point. We just want him to be okay. Yeah, I know Florida has canceled their midweek game. Uh, I forget who that was against UNF, maybe, or something. I know they had UNF this week. So uh, whatever game was Wednesday, Florida has went ahead and postponed that game. And I think they're looking into uh, Saturday's game as well. So uh, everything's kind of surrounding basketball team right now, too. Uh, is going on with dealing with the uh, Keontae Johnson situation. And hopefully, hopefully we'll hear some more good news uh, soon on that front. So let's get to some Gator football uh, here as we do right here on Gators Breakdown. Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes and news for jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show on YouTube. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button if you're watching us live right now. really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Or if you just want the audio version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform and follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, all right, well, we'll uh, look back at the game from your thoughts a bit. Everybody, if you want more, you can go to readreaction.com and check out Will's thoughts here. But we'll highlight some of uh, Will's thoughts here on the uh, performance of Saturday night. And, well, I think we probably still I, – I, I know the – Big storyline, of course, comes late in the game and the throwing of the cleat from Marco Wilson. But I think still, if we want to maybe go in sequential order and maybe you know kind of define why Florida was ha- having to fight back from behind, is to, uh, another slow start on offense and probably the, you know the worst performance from uh, from quarterback Kyle Trask. And you know numbers were good between the twenties were good uh, for this Gator offense, but uh, early turnovers, uh, red zone issues crept up and. We, we we have seen we, we we saw the slow starts uh game after game for the last month or so and kind of just chalked it up to you know maybe not focusing maybe some vanilla play um but yeah you know, i think we could go along and now look at the lsu tape and what happened in that game go back and look at what arkansas and kentucky and tennessee were able to put on film for teams to to go out there and maybe make a blueprint uh, of of ways to confuse Kyle Trask or maybe take a step slower in, in making his reads. And I think, uh, look, they're still putting up yards. They're still having success with it. But there are things you can look at now where teams are, the way they're playing these Florida receivers and playing the Florida passing game right now, that uh, it, it has had some effect on Kyle Trask. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing was they were getting pressure. Right. Yep. When, when you're dropping eight guys and getting pressure with three, then it becomes a really difficult thing for the quarterback to try to fit the ball in there. And LSU's predominantly a man to man team. The pick six came on a zone. So it was something where they had switched out of what they normally do. He didn't recognize it. He threw it to the wrong, threw it to the wrong place. And obviously it goes the other way. But this is something, you know, I mean, we've all criticized pro football focus, and rightfully so, for some of their criticism. But one of their big criticisms, at least coming out of last year, was that Trask threw the ball out there a lot for the opposition to get. And we've seen that this year. I mean, there was the ball that he threw against Georgia that could have gone the other way that really would have changed the complexion of that game. He threw one up sort of up for grabs against Vanderbilt that didn't get taken down. You know, this is – 
this is he's thrown a bunch of pick sixes this year. I think he's thrown three of his four interceptions have been returned for touchdowns, but you know, there there's been four or five that have gone out there that just haven't necessarily been taken in by the defense this time. They got him right. And and that's going to happen sometimes with the quarterback, especially when you throw as much as Trask does. The second interception is just fluky. I mean, you're down in the red zone. You're trying to sort of throw it with the only place where Tony can get it. Tony's like falling out of bounds, but, it hits off of his hands, then off of a helmet, and then goes back to a guy on his knees who makes the interception. I'm not going to fault Trask for that. And then the fumble, the offensive line missed a stunt. Um, he needs to hold on to it. He can't let that ball go. But at the same time, that happens sometimes, right? I mean, you get hit, ball, you're trying to make a play, ball comes out. Uh, they're actually lucky that one didn't get returned for a touchdown, too. The offensive lineman was able to go and track him down and, and, and tackle him and then keep him to a field goal. But, yeah, I mean – you know, they had six explosive plays in the first half compared to one explosive play for LSU, and they were down 24 to 17, which tells you a whole lot of stuff went wrong in the first half. They actually end up the entire year, the entire game, 8.2 yards per play, a full yard above their average for the year. LSU's at 4.9 yards per play. So, again, the turnovers, you know, you lose the turnover battle three to nothing, you miss a field goal. Will, um, say, that, say that stat again. 8.2 yards per play, a full yeah, yard was- above their season average, and LSU averaged 4.9. Yeah, I, I had the comparison yesterday, but I had no idea that it was a full yard above Florida's average. Yeah, wow. they're off, the, the offense did not right. play poorly. I think that's, right. one, that's one of the misconceptions is the offense did not play poorly. Certainly they stalled in the red zone. I think you can make some – I haven't said the words – I haven't I haven't said the phrase situational football more than I ever have this year, and it really come about against LSU. Well, but I mean, so there's a couple of things. One, Kyle Pitts is out. That makes a big difference, right? Yep. The other thing is, is that they are the SEC's worst pass defense. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I don't <laughs> think, that, and they torched him. I mean, it's 609 yards and what 474 through the air. Yeah. It's not as though the offense they put up 34 points. The offense certainly gave them 10. So that's part of it, right? The offense it's a seesaw. Them 10. It's but a then seesaw. you get. But then you got the cleat at the end. So basically the defense handed them another three, um, you know, three turnovers to nothing. That That's a big equalizer, right? And then it's really four because they also got stopped on fourth down, down there at the one. And, uh, you know, I think it was the right call to go for it on fourth down. Me too. I, I know a lot of people have criticized uh, Malik Davis being the guy who got the ball. And I actually think that's probably a fair criticism that you should give it to Pierce there. But the bigger thing that no one's really talked about is they ran behind the left side of the offensive line and that, and they hadn't taken uh, DeLance out yet. So DeLance is still playing right tackle and they've got their normal offensive line out there and they run on the left side of the line. And we, I've been saying this all year long when we look at the stats, that the left side of the line is where they have really struggled in the run game. So they ran to the wrong side and and that, you know, Say what you will about the Lance and his ability to pass block. He's a better run blocker than than people give him credit for. And when they ran the ball in from the one yard line or the two yard line against Georgia, they ran right behind Delance. They just double teamed the guy who was right there. You know, Delance and, and Reese just pushed back the. Uh, I think Reese was playing against Georgia. Reese and Delance just yeah. pushed the guy back right at the point of attack, and and Pierce went right in behind him. They didn't do that, and then they didn't. You know, I don't know. So I look at it and say the play calling was a little bit suspect at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly there hasn't been a whole lot of imagination, though you get imaginative and then you start to criticize too, because they had right. one where they, I think they were like third and one and they ran like an inside trap to Tony and yeah. he lost like two yards and then they had to punt on that one too. And you're like, well, why don't you just give it to the running then, back? But, yeah. Then the, uh, another goal line play where the, the fake trash run and then they kind of threw a slant to shorter, but shorter falls down. 
you know, but yeah, like, oh, you try to get too cute there, but you know. Well, the yeah. the other thing is, is, is I wrote something for Gator Country this week that was this past week that was talking about um, just just the the running in general and what was happening with the running game. And the hey, big hey, ta- we spent an hour on it last week. <laughs> yeah, but, the, but the big the big takeaway for me is that the games in which they had good rushing stats almost all included Emory Jones as like seven carries for 34 yards. Yeah. Right. That they were able to loosen up the defense in some capacity. You know, let Emory run for seven and then bring in Trask on second and three. I mean, when did he see a second and three <laughs> the entire game? They either ripped off a 35 yard run and then it was first and ten again, or they got nothing. And that was sort of the way the running game worked the other night. And, you know, I, I do think that there's a place for Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson or somebody in that running game. If you're not going to be able to get it the way you're the way you're they became completely one dimensional. I heard Rick or I heard Nick say this yesterday that Florida has been sort of bordering on being one dimensional. Well, they were one dimensional against LSU, certainly. But again, you score, you score 34 points. You're in position for the game-tying field goal. Um, it's not as though he didn't have the distance. I mean, he missed it by like six inches. Um, you know, So the offense in most – it was imperfect, but we knew at some point mm-hmm. that the defense was going to have to bail out the offense. At some point this year, they were going to have to do that. And they haven't, they haven't had to do it all year long, right? I mean, obviously, I think everybody blames the defense for the game against A&M. Every other game, Florida's been up by two touchdowns sometime in the third quarter. There you go, Will. I think I think that's part of it. It stinks that it came in the last game of the season versus LSU and a you know team that you're supposed to be a much better than twenty four point favorite. You figured maybe since you hadn't seen it through nine games that okay, well, it's not gonna happen in the last game of the season. And it did. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I, I don't think the offense got stopped. I don't think you sit there and look at a blueprint and say, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, this is how you're going to stop and Just hold them to 609 yards. It'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's obviously they got key stops in the red zone. They got key interceptions. The two interceptions both happened deep in LSU territory. They were both in field goal range, right? So, I mean, I think it's the right call to go for it on fourth and one. But if they don't jump off sides and if you take that field goal there, and then you don't throw interceptions down in the down in the red zone or down in LSU territory, and you get two more field goals. It's a completely different game. So, you know, but but here's the reality: you got you got to tip your hat to LSU. They showed up to play, yeah. especially considering that they didn't have half their team. And you know, Florida had the full complement except for Pitts, and decided to yeah more to than anything, more than the play calling, more than the interceptions, all that stuff. It was probably the want to. Florida didn't want to go out there and win that game. Yeah, I mean, I, I struggle to hesitate. I hesitate to to ascribe, uh, and that's hard to measure. I know, but come on, if well, I wanted to go out there and play and win that game, they should have. Yeah, but I mean, you know, we went over this a couple of weeks ago, where you know, when Alabama won their first national title, they won a game twelve to ten over Tennessee, and it was an inferior Tennessee team. So you know, those one score games, and and even Florida in two thousand and six, right? You got the seventeen to sixteen game. Mm-hmm. I think they beat Vanderbilt by like six points, and that's yeah. one of the things that we were all pointing to, saying, well, you know, they're still beating Vandy by. Two touchdowns like so so what's what's the problem um the problem is is that when you get into a close game execution starts to matter and oftentimes the deep you know Saban can say all he wants about offense dominating and he, and it's true right that if you get up three touchdowns and you can just sort of coast having an explosive offense makes a huge difference if you get down two touchdowns having an explosive offense makes a difference but being able to execute when you get to the point where it's third and one and you need that first down 
you know, or when it's third and one and you need that stop, like those are critical things. And the 2006 team was able to do those sorts of things, right? It was able to get the blocked field goals, was able to, to stop South Carolina in situations where they needed to. And they'd got an awful lot of luck too, because that 2006 team, if the ball, if either one of those balls goes through the uprights and Jarvis Moss doesn't get to it, we think we're thinking about Urban Meyer in a very different, in a very different way, especially when the defense couldn't stop anybody in 2007. So, you know, one score games typically there are a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of late game execution. One of the things that Florida missed out on was a lot of the savage workouts, and they have not been very good in the fourth quarter. And it sort of showed again in this one. So I, I don't I don't like ascribing motivation to teams when I have no idea what's going on. Clearly Kyrie Campbell wanted to be there because yeah. he was he was going nuts there in the third quarter. I think the the big thing is is that the thing the execution things, the attention to detail, all the stuff that people have pointed out all year long are still there. So you know you got the double corner blitz. You got you know Campbell not knowing he's supposed to be out on the field and running out there so you get an offsides. Guys not lined up when they're running a quarterback sneak when it's third and one, you know, to where you basically just give them the first down. Um, you know, obviously the cleat toss and and but even after that, you know, the, the cleat toss and then still allowing them to drive down the field and be right. and set themselves up for a field goal. And then the thing that nobody's really talking about because of the cleat toss is you got 27 seconds left. Mullen calls a timeout. Is that the right call? Because LSU was going to have to run out on the field, kick a 57-yard field goal in the fog, and didn't have any timeouts. So would they have rushed? Would it have changed things? Would he would he have possibly missed it? You know, we saw this with the Patriots and the Seahawks, where Belichick, whether he did it intentionally or not, kind of let Se- kind of let Seattle cause their own angst by not having enough timeouts and and you know thinking that New England was going to call timeout and then they didn't, and all of a sudden New England's able to cause the turnover. You, know, you wonder whether the same thing might have happened here. I'm not going to criticize Mullen for calling a timeout. I think it was probably the right call. In fact, it yeah, almost turned into the right call anyway. Yeah. But again, you start thinking about these late game situations, execution, and you can look at four, five, six different times where Florida just wasn't able to execute. And then you look at, you know. <laughs> well, I think that comes in preparation too, though. Like, you know, I don't think they took the game serious all week. And I think, you know, you're out there. But I mean, look, like I said, there's no way to know. There's no way to measure it. But. Well, Mullen didn't take the game serious. And I think that bleeds over. I think it bleeds over. Sure. But I mean, that's, I mean, I, you know, again, I've heard a lot of people criticize Mullen. I think it's probably justified. It's always going to be justified when you lose a game like this. We'd be laughing at Kirby if he'd have lost a game to LSU mm-hmm. that was going to allow them to go to the national championship and, or at least play for it. And certainly uh, it's not a surprise that people are, you know, chucking shoes at Gator fans this week. But, um, you know, at the same time, this is who Mullen is, right? Like anybody who sits there and says, oh, Dan Mullen, he's arrogant. I didn't realize it until today. It's like, really? <laughs> like, uh, until today? Like, this is who he is, better or worse, right? He oh, is. Yeah. A- I had plenty of Mississippi State people on when Dan Mullen was hired. We, well, knew, we knew that. We, were, yeah. we knew we were getting that. He's stubborn. He does not like the media. He puts his foot in his mouth. He's an excellent X's and O's coach. I think he does a really good job of normally preparing his team. Um, but he is the guy who shows up in the Darth Vader costume after instigating a brawl. You know, he is the guy who talks about promising things in recruiting and then has a bunch of guys depart from the program right afterwards. He is the guy who has essentially put up the exact same recruiting class for the last three years. I Again, I, I cited the Spurrier example and the Meyer example and sort of those third-year examples. I think you know, obviously the Chip Kelly experience could be what we're going through right now. And so this is a lot better than that. 
but there are warts. And so, you know, the fact that people are coming around to what the warts are now surprises me a little bit. Right. But again, when the honeymoon was going on and, and I was talking to I and you a little bit, we're talking about recruiting, you know, those first few recruiting classes, everybody's like, you just got to give them time. You just got to give them time. You just got to give them time. Well, you know, you can roll the ball out on the field and win if you've got superior athletes, superior athletes everywhere, but Florida's receivers were covered. Mm-hmm. And, and that does indicate that, you know, other than Tony, they were covered pretty well. And against, you know, third and fourth string DBs for LSU, whether that means they were just not ready to play or whether that means that, you know. LSU did a really good job matching up right there. With, you know, they, they were playing the pass and had guys where they needed to be. Like you said, th- those guys didn't make mistakes. You know, the, the, the mistakes that we see on Florida's defense, going to your point, Will, of the inexperienced backups that were on LSU's team, you would have expected those same mistakes. They didn't make the mistake. I mean, don't get me wrong. We said Florida had a bunch of yards and all that stuff, but you know there were times when they needed those key stops, those three and outs that Florida kept having when the defense actually did do their job for for a little while. It didn't bleed up, you know. They, they LSU's, you know, they as you said, their DBs, they they did enough. They did enough. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, look, LSU's four and five. I mean, obviously. We thought they'd be three and six, but they're four and five. So they're not a terrible team against an SEC schedule. If you went four and four, let's say in an SEC schedule, you'd probably end up the year being seven and four, right? And go into a bowl game, potentially yeah. end up eight and four. So it's one of those sort of eh, LSU is okay after losing three quarters of their team to the NFL type of teams. Their past defense has been horrendous, but all the guys who were terrible were out. So apparently, <laughs> apparently, you know, everybody's been everybody's been saying Florida should play like walk-ons and stuff because it can't get much yeah, worse. There you go. Maybe Who knew they was, were right? Yeah, maybe that was the perfect example of that. Uh, look, I mean, there's no excuse for losing this game. If you want to be a truly elite team, you got to beat LSU at home when LSU is struggling. Didn't do it. Not an elite team. 2020 is a fun year. Let's go win the SEC championship. But at the end of the day, I you know. <laughs> anybody say Florida's going to be in the playoff is deluding themselves at this point. Like th- no, there's man. no, there's no path and nor should there be right. You lose to LSU at home. That should be a disqualifying loss, even though it's well, come a, on, what, I, what, we have, what, what do we have? Notre Dame has to beat Clemson. Tennessee has to beat Texas A&M. Ohio state has to lose a game. You beat Alabama. Dude, I, I'm, I'm as big a homer as there is out there, and and uh, I'm not even coming close to pumping that kind of sunshine. I just, you know, oh man, I'm not either. I was just <laughs> that was just something I was calculating in my head right when you said that. But again, I go back to at the beginning of the year, if you told me Florida was going to go eight and two against a ten game SEC schedule, win the East, and they were going to then have an opportunity to play Alabama with a guy who could potentially win the Heisman Trophy, I'd say, huh. That's a pretty good year in year three for Dan Mullen. It's it's because of the way it happened right. that we're discouraged. It's yeah. not like – and I, I say this with recruiting all the time, right? You get one five-star recruit and everybody goes, oh, who said he couldn't recruit? And you get one three-star recruit and all the people on the other side are like, ah, he doesn't – no, you take the whole class in its entirety and compare it to everyone else. And when you take an eight and two record in the SEC and compare it against everybody else, particularly with the challenges of having the COVID break, having to play seven straight games in the SEC, really eight when you count the SEC championship game, and you sort of put that up against other teams in the country, it's impressive. It's just not national championship impressive. And the standard at Florida's championships, Mullen knows that as well as anybody. And, you know, he's going to have to keep it rolling. But, you know, I, I think. Trask has been able to paper over a lot of holes. 
and the offense. Well, you know, okay, they- I'm glad you said that. Uh, that brings up tweet. I'm glad that's going to where I'm going next. So I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to read some tweets later, but that is really key here to what Robert Kraft says. Perfect tweets to segue into this. Year three, improving on the field and in recruiting. Last night's game was a complete microcosm of this entire season. My question to you, where would Florida be without Trask? Who knows? I mean, Emory Jones might be awesome. We just have yeah. no idea. I, I think so. One of the interesting things is I did, I went back and looked at some of my articles that I've written in the past. One of them specifically was from a couple of years ago, February of 2018, was looking at how far away are the Gators from competing for real championships and sort of looked at the average national recruiting ranking of champions and then minimums and maximums. And the minimum was Auburn back in 2010. They averaged a 14.8 over four years. They did have a number six class as one of those, and certainly brought in Cam Newton as the, uh, as the, uh, as a transfer, right? So you think about how Florida's built this program. Trask, not a transfer, but bringing in some transfer power to, to help aid those classes. Florida's been a little bit better than 14. But the thing is, you start looking at it, they had Cam Newton, who was who had a 182 quarterback rating and 1,500 yards rushing almost. And that Auburn team went 7-0 and in one-score games. So even with elite quarterback play, with that level of recruiting, they needed an awful lot of luck. They beat Clemson in overtime early in the year. I think they beat Oregon in the national championship by a field goal. They had a huge comeback comeback. comeback against Alabama. You know, so the reality is, is when you have a team with that level of talent, it is possible to win the championship, but you need a lot of luck and you need an elite quarterback. And Florida got zero luck in their close games this year. You get the Malik Davis fumble, you get the cleat toss, and they got elite quarterback play. And, you know, the funny thing is, is if Davis doesn't fumble that ball and if, and if, and if Wilson doesn't throw that cleat, Florida's probably 10 and 0. Yeah. And so that's how close it is. It's a razor thin margin. And now, that's, and it, that's not to say it's those two plays that caused it. Like no, you said, but it, it's, 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 like you said, but that's the razor thin lucky part that you're, that you're talking about. It's a function of the one score games, right? So you yeah. get into a one score game and one turnover makes a difference, or in this case, three turnovers makes a difference, <laughs> or a missed field goal starts to make a difference. Look at Alabama's schedule. They have had zero one score games this year. They've pummeled everybody. I think the closest game they had was like a three touchdown win against Missouri to open the year. We're like, oh, oh no, it was the game against Ole Miss. It was the game yes. against Ole Miss yeah. where it was going back and forth. And even that one, I think they won by like 10. So, you know, you, you look at Alabama and they have enough talent and they have a really good quarterback this year, but they have enough talent that they're not necessarily playing those close games all the time. Now, when it gets to the playoff, when it gets to the playoff, we've seen this with Clemson, right? When they had Kelly Bryant at quarterback, Clemson couldn't hang in the playoff because they were all of a sudden playing against the t- teams with the exact same amount of talent, but a better quarterback. They bring in Trevor Lawrence and all of a sudden they're blowing Alabama off the field. So, you need all of those things to compete. But the thing I think that's interesting when you look back at history, you know, Kyler Murray, the stat I like, the stat I've come up with yards above replacement, Kyler Murray is the best quarterback ever in that stat that I've measured thus far. It was like 4.4 or something ridiculous number, considering like two is Heisman level. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had the 101st ranked defense at Oklahoma. So Oklahoma goes undefeated with Kyler Murray mm. because they have really, really, really good quarterback play and a really, really crappy defense. Basically, this year's Florida team to an extreme. Mm-hmm. And and Murray wins the Heisman Trophy, very deserving of it. But then they get to the playoff and get beat because Oklahoma just doesn't have the horses to hang with the elite talent. So <laughs> I suspect, unfortunately, that's what we're going to find out on Saturday. Um, but even if you get by Alabama, yeah, even if he'd gotten by LSU, even if he'd gotten by Alabama, um, they're just they're holes that they have to paper over. 
and they don't have the ability, you know, Trask has been the person who's done that thus far. He wasn't able to do it. He had a little bit of an off game. I mean, again, 470 yards and two touchdowns passing, two touchdowns rushing, certainly the two interceptions. But anybody blaming Trask for losing that game is uh, mm-hmm. looking through glasses that don't remember Skylar Morhenwick. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we'll get into more here, but before we do a word from our sponsors my bookie it's the most wonderful time of the year that can't end soon enough we all deserve a win we all deserve a little extra money in our pocket and we all deserve i have a little fun the only place you're guaranteed to get all three is my bookie my bookie is the only sports book that doesn't care whether you're naughty or nice this year they've got gifts for everyone bet the nfl nba coming up all your favorite college sports that's dwindling down for football of course but basketball They'll take you basketball bets as well and more. Sign up today and receive the ultimate stocking stuffer, a 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's a great place to start, but we all know Christmas is about what's under the tree. In my bookie, that means huge deposit bonuses, epic giveaways, and free contests. It's simple. Sign up, enter promo code GATORS, and get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. Head over to my bookie to make the most of the holidays this year and strut into 2021 with cash in your pocket. This winter, bet with the best. Bet with my bookie. Well, I want to kind of go back to the uh, the, the the question there Robert asked, and you know, where would Florida be without Trask? Well, we know, but it had to be a different offense because they can't run block. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm going with that one. I don't, you know, how, how good would this rush offense be with a running quarterback? Emory would get his yards, but still, uh, and it would probably open up things for other running backs. But uh, the the offense would look completely different there. So uh, I think, but in in that form, I think kind of maybe where his question was leaning, where would this be? Where would this team be without Trask? Not as good. Uh, I'll say that. <laughs> and then, and that's pretty easy to say when you have a Heisman level quarterback. I mean, he hasn't played great the last three games against Kentucky, Tennessee, and LSU. But I mean, come on. <laughs> the guy's thrown like 10 touchdown passes, run for a couple of more, thrown for like, you know, 1200 yards over the last 3 games. I mean, I I don't I don't know what else you would want him to do and and at the end of the day, was it enough? No, but I, I appreciated that he shouldered the blame at the end of the game unlike yes. some other people, but um you know, he's been one of those quiet leaders and I think you admire the way that he stuck it through and and really came out there and played but if anybody tells you that they expected this kind of leap from trash this year mm-hmm. i think they're lying i certainly didn't i expected him to get better i did not expect him to take this kind of leap um you know I, i'm very very impressed with the additions he's made to his arm strength with the ability he's made he's shown to make reads uh, he couldn't really take advantage of deep balls the other night he hit a couple of them but couldn't step know, up well, he couldn't step up, and then, you know, the other thing is there wasn't a whole lot of separation. There were yeah. a couple of times where guys had separation and got stopped. The, the play to Copeland is one that really comes to mind where he gets tripped up by the by the shoelaces, and I don't yeah. think that one turned into a touchdown. And that one, he was open, you know, off to the races if he happens to hit that one. Tony got caught from behind on one early in the game, you know, where they got stopped on fourth down. The opening game, they hit Tony behind the defense, but then he gets caught. Um, and then they even hit Tony later, I think, on a deep one, and he got caught as well. So, you know, I mean, Tony's an awesome player, but they don't have that guy who you just – and we said this early over during the offseason. Who's the guy you hand the ball to and just say, up oh, six? Like, yeah. there, there isn't anybody – or who do you throw the bubble screen to and go, up oh, six? Like, there isn't anybody who does that consistently. Um, Kyle Pitts is probably the closest one to it, but, you know, at, at the same time, it requires trash to drive the team down the field to be able to get the ball to Pitts in most cases out of the red zone. Obviously, Pitts out in this one, and, and that, that showed up. 
Yeah, uh, one more tweet I wanted to get out. Uh, flaw to get at uh, Air Flaw to Jordan. Uh, put this uh, on Twitter. I was going to read it too, and kind of go into the point here. And I know it sounds like we're piling on, but you know, it wasn't. It wasn't pretty Saturday, so it's kind of, kind of, kind of what happens uh, here. But uh, he said, "I'm flabbergasted." And well, it just kind of goes to one of your points too. He goes, "Trends with this team we haven't seen with Mullen in the last two years. The guys were praised for being mentally tough, won close games, etc." Don't drop the rope. Uh, you know, Graham brought that up yesterday. You know, Nick Savage DNA. He said, last two years got better as the season wore on. Played our best ball at the end of the year. Didn't happen this year. And I, it's, you know, didn't necessarily think about it that way. As I kept saying yesterday and the last few weeks of, you know, Florida's not playing their best ball. You know, you this was a chance after Georgia, after Arkansas, when you put together pretty good performances there this was the, the the time of the year to get better time of the year to improve heading into alabama we did not see that and we didn't see it like the last couple of years uh, of getting better as the season wore on now look, a couple of years ago you know it took a miraculous trevon grimes tip catch versus south carolina to kind of spark everything to get that late season run going um you know last year you lost to georgia found a way to rally finished the season really good uh, season the, the schedule gets a little bit easier too after that Georgia game, <laughs> so that that helps a little bit too. Uh, but it did the same thing this year, and uh, we didn't see the team get better. But uh, you know, it's it, uh, hard to explain why. Uh, but um, that's kind of where a lot of the criticism, I think, uh, uh, toward one Dan Mulling is going. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I think we we talked about this earlier this year that the defense had a really crappy baseline to start in the season, and I think they've gotten better. I just don't think that they've been able to paper over all those holes. I mean, but you know, thirty five points and six hundred plus yards to Old Miss, South Carolina couldn't get off the field. A and M scored every time they had the ball. Then they played well against Missouri, I think. But you have the brawl, which sort of points towards the discipline stuff that everybody's a little bit upset about after the LSU game. The Georgia game, they fall down 14 nothing and are able to come screaming back. But in that case, um, you know, even then, Trask almost throws the pick six. Could have been a lot closer there. Arkansas, 63 to 35, wasn't really that close, but still couldn't close it out. You know, couldn't really get the opposing uh, or get the guys, the younger guys on the field because Arkansas kept coming back and scoring. Vanderbilt, 38 and 17, sort of sleepy. Kentucky, 34 to 10, but it was 10 to 7 until the Tony punt return. And then Tennessee, 31 to 19. I mean, this is just who they've been all year long, right? And, and I think. Missing the bye week does make a difference. I, I yeah. do. I was like having two weeks to teach in the middle of the season after people have gotten popped in the mouth a little bit is an effective teaching tool and having to do it on zoom. It's just different. Now everybody's had to deal with that this year. So it's not an excuse. I and mean, we've seen Alabama's defense get better. Um, but I do think that that probably has something to do with it. And then I think part of it is just each team has its own personality. Each team has its own flaws. You look at that 2007 team and you kept saying, Oh, well, if the defense can just get better, Tebow's really awesome. Like and then Tebow wins the Heisman trophy. They go out in that game against Michigan and just get absolutely torched. And you're like, Oh God, like, what's coming up next year? Oh, it turns out a national title because those guys are all going to improve over the offseason and uh, and the defense is going to come out ready to go because of the, all the criticism they took the year before and because all those guys got better. So, you know, I, each team has its own personality. Each team has its own sort of way that it mingles with the, with the head coach. This is a group that's heavily dominated by McIlwain recruited players. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether that's by design or whether that's because they haven't been able to recruit well enough to replace the guys who are out there or whether it's just because Mullen tends to favor older guys, I don't necessarily know. But, you know, these aren't guys that he spent four years building a relationship with before they came to Gainesville and then has spent four years with them in, on campus. These are guys that he sort of had to come in and get buy-in for the program. And you figure, you know, I know you guys were talking about taking Marco off the field. Yeah, I mean, that seems like the thing that you should do after somebody does what Marco did. But at the same time, you know, you don't know what the inner workings are. I don't know. I mean, yeah. yes, you would you would expect them to get better. I think that's why everybody has criticized Grantham ad nauseum since like the first game of the year. And and I don't suspect Grantham's going to be back next year. I do suppose I do think they're going to probably make a change, particularly, you know, it does not appear as though raising money to get rid of head coaches or get rid of um, problem coaches is an issue this year in college football with all the guys that, you know, Auburn just came up with $22 million to get Malzahn to go away. Uh-huh. If the boosters want grant them gone, I, I think they're probably going to, you know, they're probably going to be able to do it. In fact, I think uh, if Grantham stays, that does sort of point towards the things we've already talked about with Mullen that, you know, he wants to do things his way. He's comfortable doing things his way and he's not necessarily going to acquiesce to things Though I do kind of wonder whether him changing up the offensive line was sort of a subtle, uh, <laughs> a, a subtle gesture at the media, and uh, I'm not sure it worked out real well. But uh, I was surprised to see that change because he's always sort of stuck to his guns. Um, pass blocking got a little better on rewatch. As I said, I needed to go back and rewatch it. I did that today. The pass blocking did get a bit better. The run blocking still is an issue that I think, well, I think a lot of people wanted that to happen, not only because of the pass blocking issues that we saw from Gene Lance, but maybe it would help the run game as well. It didn't, it did not, yeah, I mean, uh, but, it, but it did help the pass blocking. I'll, I'll, I'll give it back. I didn't see it initially when watching at the game, partly because in the press box, I couldn't see a lot in the second half. <laughs> because of the fog. Uh, but, uh, but going back in, 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 on the rewatch, um, but yeah, it, it, the pass blocking did get better there. Well, you, Sure. I mean, I I actually agree. I think in the second half, the pass blocking was a lot better than it was in the first half. Um, But, you know, at least if if you've read my stuff at any point along the way, you know that I'm a huge process guy and that you do things by a certain process and eventually the results follow. And when you try to shortcut those processes, that's when you get into trouble because, yeah, it might look good for a week, but those kinds of things aren't sustainable. So if you're going to make a change at offensive line, you need to make the change against Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, uh-huh. or Tennessee. You don't make the change in the last game. I mean, that's like Wade Phillips with the Buffalo Bills, like ripping out Flutie right before the playoffs. Like it, just, it doesn't make any sense to do those sorts of things right at the end of the game. So, which is why I think it's, I think it's particularly within Mullen's personality to go. You guys want to see a change? All right, here you go. And uh, you know, but. I don't know. I mean, obviously it didn't work well. You know, I don't want to say it didn't work for the running game because they did rip off some pretty big runs. Yeah, the, the, uh, yeah. the big run from Malik was with that line. I, I was looking for more consistent. I'm sorry. And I know I've beat the explosive run dead horse all year. <laughs> and, I, and I got it with that offensive line set up in there. But there was also a chance when they there was an, there was another red zone trip with those guys that they sh- basically struggled and I think you know Trask had to basically sneak it in uh there but you know they, they didn't get the push that they were supposed you know it, it, that I think people were expecting with a massive offensive line change yeah I mean the other thing is is they got you know because they couldn't push it in Trask got his knee tweaked there on that oh, yeah. first on that mm-hmm. first touchdown run and you know he he um he had sort of the same thing happen to him against Auburn last year came back into that Auburn game 
But, you know, I think it took him a little while in that game to get comfortable after he came back. I know Emery drove him down for a field goal, and then Trask comes back and is able to sort of finish off the game. And then one of the things we said sort of coming into this year was, hey, maybe that knee sprain had an impact on things. I do wonder whether it took him a quarter to sort of get comfortable again, um, you know, getting hit and, and, and doing those sorts of things. You know, we'll never know, and he's not going to tell us. But it, it didn't look real good. I mean, it looked like his knee got tweaked pretty good there when he got bent back on that first touchdown run. And, and maybe that impacted his ability to push off. Maybe that impacted his accuracy a little bit. Maybe, maybe he made some reads a little bit quicker than he would have before because he didn't want to get hit. His jersey was awfully dirty. Yeah. So you can say what you will about the pass blocking in the, uh, in the second half. But in the first half, he got, he got drilled a ton. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we said even, you know, even three months ago against Old Miss, he was getting hit on little just sort of smash, pass, smash patterns where the ball was at three steps and out and he was still getting hit. And, uh, you know, those sorts of things start to add up over the course of the year. And, you know, you're going to have a bad game every once in a while. And I mean, geez, 474 yards and four touchdowns. I I hope I can have a bad game like that (laughs) at some point in my in my history. Well, uh, asked this question Saturday night, got a good a lot of good responses here. Was this the most devastating loss? And I guess for us, we probably have to go through modern Gator football. And for a lot that, you know, just because of the age of people, you know, starts around 1990 of following Florida football. And that's modern Florida football when Florida started competing for national championships, SEC championships. Uh, most devastating loss, you think? Yeah, because it was self-inflicted. Like yeah. the, the Jordan Reed fumble comes to mind, mm-hmm. uh, but that was like one of six turnovers. It's a fumble, so it's a physical mistake. Um you know the the Tennessee game in two thousand and one comes to mind. Yep, um, I got I got, the, I got the Georgia Southern game in twenty thirteen a lot of that. But my thing was what was on the line in this game. And you are a huge favorite. You're this should not have happened. You got beat by a much worse team. Um, you know, going and look, LSU's LSU. They're not LSU this year. Uh, and you didn't lose to, you know, the, the, a traditional LSU team. You lost to a bad LSU team, playing a whole bunch of backups, playing a, a freshman quarterback making his first start. So much was on the line. You had a big game versus out. And, and, and to me, it's regardless of what you think will happen when Florida and Alabama meet or what you thought would have happened even before the loss. It, it, that doesn't matter. You still had it on the line. You still could take your chances there. To me, yeah, I, I think it is. I think it's the most devastating loss in modern Gator football. You, you still had a chance to go out there and, and go beat Alabama to get a playoff spot, win the SEC. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of people brought up Georgia Southern in 2013, but, no, that, that was a lost season already. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It's another game you shouldn't have lost uh, by a, at the time. Uh, FCS team, uh, but you know nothing was on the line in, 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 in that one. Tennessee 01, Will, you brought that one up. Some of the um, Auburn FSU games in the mid 90s, I think you know probably are up there a bit too uh, with stuff that with, were games that were on the line and, and the choke at Doke, even though that wasn't a loss. <laughs> Not a lot of people bring that one up as well. Uh, but yeah, for me, this one. Uh, this this one sting this one stings a whole lot and, and it might and it might just it might just top the cake. I mean, this one isn't pleasant, but I think most of us behind the scenes, at least, you know, you're trying to keep up a good face while you're picking the team throughout the year. Yeah, but we all expected to get shellacked on Saturday against yeah. Alabama. So yeah, you're keeping in line with being able to play for the playoff, but I don't think we all expected us to be able to do that. The, the no, 20- but I say take your chances. I'm saying heaven forbid. 
Mac Jones goes down in the first play and Alabama struggles and you just somehow come out, you know, with, with the victory or you play your best game and somehow go get the, go get the victory. The possibility was still there. Yeah. I mean, so I think part of it is because of how, right. It happens on a, you know, the, the loss is on a stupid play, right. Where you're just like, ugh, like, I can't believe that we had it and gave it away. Not, the other team took it. And there were plenty of times in that game where you could say somebody gave it away, but let, let's be honest, the, the cleat toss is the reason they lost this game. Um, but when I look back at most devastating, I'll tell you the one that I was the most stunned at and the one that I remember and the one that I know exactly where I was when it happened. And I just can feel sort of that bitter taste in my mouth is old miss. And oh wait, like that's the one. And I know how it turned out. And I know they won the championship and I know that, you know, but especially knowing what's coming and sort of knowing that, oh, nine, you're going to lose to Alabama. Alabama's going to take over supremacy. Mm. And then all of a sudden the whole program's going to fall apart. Yeah. You know, that was their opportunity to go 14 and 0, have that undefeated season. They don't do it. Obviously, you have the promise, you win the national championship. Everybody, it's great. Like the, well, the funny, story of that. But that 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 game still sticks with me. As, I, I, how the hell did we lose that one? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that that one did not. Come, I don't remember that one coming up at all. And you're well, right. You, the Auburn one in 06 is one that sticks with me too. The the games yeah. where you know what the ones that impact me are the ones where I feel like we have the shot to win the championship, mm-hmm. and you lose. And those are the ones that really stick with me. So like 06, you lose to Auburn. I didn't think there was any way right. we were going to be able to get back in the chase for that. And you had sort of that weird fumble by Leak where they called it a fumble, but I thought it was an incomplete pass. Um, you know, so that's sort of the same type of feeling where it's like we didn't deserve to lose that game. We were going in, you know, in 08, you got the missed extra point, and that's how you lose to Old Miss. You're like, really? <laughs> we lost on a missed freaking extra point. And not only that, Tim Tebow gets stuffed on a play where he never gets stuffed on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he never gets stopped on that on that quarterback power, and it was nowhere close on that one. Well, and even 95, when you go back to the Fiesta Nebraska. Bowl where they got beat by Nebraska, obviously, you know, I think Nebraska was the better team, but that's one of them where you show up the next day at the water cooler and your buddy who knows you're a Florida fan. Like, I mean, I live up here in Philadelphia. I had people asking me about shoes today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so like everybody saw this. Heck, the guy who threw the shoe at George Bush was tweeting about it. So, yeah. so, so this one's going to, I mean, the, the, I'm not trying to diminish this one. This one, this one should sting. This one's going to stick in our minds. We're still going to talk about Marco Wilson, Chuck and a cleat, you know, 20 years from now. Um, you know, when you start sort of rattling off the weird things that have happened in LSU games, I mean, that was one of the things that I did in my That's preview fun. was look at all the weird ones. This is the weirdest. And uh, you know, it, it sucks because you gave it away. It stinks because mm-hmm. you didn't have an opportunity to play for the champ. Or you felt like you had an opportunity to go in and really have one of those days where, all right, I got hope heading into this SEC championship. We're going to be able to get it done. And just that sort of goes away. So that stinks. But again, I don't know. I That old Miss game is the one that sticks with me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get to a tweet here to kind of finish up our uh, some of the tweets I wanted to get into. And it's, it is on this theme here. Um, let me hear. Sorry about that. It takes me a second. So uh, uh, I like Jeff here. Jeff at Kayak Gator says, no, I am old. My first year at Florida was 1976, and the Gators were undefeated in the SEC and needed to win just one of their final two SEC games to win the conference. Lost to Georgia on fourth and dumb, and then went to Kentucky the next week and laid a total egg. So, you know, it is, it is like I said, it's a lot of it is – just when you started watching Gator football and, and around the program. I mean, just think about how bad the 96 FSU loss would have been if you didn't get the rematch in the Sugar Bowl. 
I mean, that's another one that could <laughs> that could come up uh, there. So I mean, it's uh, there's okay. there's been some that hurt, but as I said, I know recency bias is going to play into it a bit here, but this this one stings. So I do want to put something into perspective, though. We just listed off 95 because of a championship and because of championship implications. 96 where we won a championship and had a had a hurtful loss. Yep. 2006 where we won a championship and had a loss that hurt. 2008 where we lost where we had a shot at a championship and lost. 2012 when we went 11 and two, finished ninth in the country, and now 2020 where we're probably going to finish top 10. Maybe top twelve. If you lose to Alabama and then win a bowl game convincingly, yeah. you probably sneak into the top ten. Um, wow, we could root for Kentucky, right? <laughs> like, I mean, we could root for Tennessee right now. Like, we could root for Vanderbilt. We root for the University of Florida, where it's a disappointing loss if you don't play for a championship every year. That's a really cool standard, but it's a really narrow needle to thread. And mm-hmm. you know, Bowen was trying to thread it this year. He didn't get it done. But I mean, again, look back at Steve Spurrier. There's only one year where Florida finished number one at the end of the year. And even in that one, lost the game, right? So, um, you know, the, the the reality is is it doesn't happen that often. There's only three in the last 30 years. And, uh, you know, Mullen's getting them on the precipice of being able to do it. Now, is he the right guy to be able to do it? We'll see, right? There are some things that probably need to be fixed, um, not the least of which is not calling double corner blitzes when you <laughs> don't need to. Um but you know, I, I think he's a smart guy. He's gonna look at he's gonna take an assessment of the program and figure out what went wrong. You know, the 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 thing I hope he doesn't do is look and say, oh, two one score losses, we just need to be luckier. I think what 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 I hope he does is he looks across the field at at Alabama this weekend and goes, Huh, their backups are really good. Maybe we should try to do that. And, you know, if if the talent base gets built up a little bit more and if he can coax the kind of quarterback play out of Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson or Carlos Del Rio that he's been able to get out of Kyle Trask, this program's going to be 10, 11, 12 wins pretty much in perpetuity as long as he's here. All right, Will. Um, there's still a game to be played Saturday. Uh, you know, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll take the, uh, the Gators' chances there. As I said, you go – at least go put a good performance out there. And I, and I hate sounding defeatist here, uh, but it, it kind of is what it is uh, right now. But you go, you, as I said, you go take your chances uh, out there. Uh, we'll still cheer for the Gators out there, but a lot of pride, I think, to still be, you know, don't, you can't go out and get embarrassed two weeks in a row. I um, mean, and I know a lot of people are going to predict it to, to, to happen. Um, and look, kind of going to the expectation part of it, Will, I, I either said it on here or the Gator panel or something. I may have picked Florida one loss, but I think I was probably one of the only ones to say I maybe had leaned more towards eight and two, closer than nine to one, maybe, or something like that. And I predicted a, a loss to Alabama in the SEC championship game. So that, that's probably going to happen <laughs> uh, Saturday there. But, you know, the expectations come into play uh, a little bit here. So I guess Florida's not too far away from my preseason expectation. But as the season went along, you know, you just got caught up in it and, and how well they were playing at, at points. And you got the win over Georgia here. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you pointed towards that. You showed up on the big stage and Saturday you have another chance to do it. You know, go out there for the orange and blue pride there. And look, this offense, if they go out there and play their A game, as we kind of said, it still gives Florida a chance uh, in this game. It's going to have to be a shootout. The defense isn't going to go out there and magically put together a performance to go stop one of the best offenses in the country right now. It is what it is. You're going to have to win in the shootout. Am I wasting breath here? Probably. I mean, winning the SEC, beating the number one team, it would still mean a lot, but rightfully met with that could have – you're going to meet that with what could have been. And looking back at the LSU game, no matter – if Florida beats Alabama, you're going to be like, 
put this way, what we just talked about is just the worst loss. Yes, it's going to be the worst loss because you're going to sit there and say, just a week ago, we got beat by a terrible LSU team and we, we beat this Alabama team and now really nothing to show for it except some progress of winning the SEC championship uh, there. But know, no, I, 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 I want to stop you there, there, okay. there, Dave. I need to give you a hug or something because you, you start out the year and you say, if we win the SEC championship, is it a successful season? The answer is yes. And whether well, you also comes with the insinuation of you making the playoff. Well, I mean, all right, but look, if you win the SEC championship game, is it a successful season? Yes. If if the answer is no, then we maybe need to recalibrate our expectations <laughs> a little bit. Like you beat Georgia and Alabama in the same year and win the SEC title. Yes, almost always you're going to play for the national championship or play in the playoff. For weird reasons, that's not going to happen this year. But I think that's a heck of a job by the staff. I think it's a heck of a job by the team. Are they going to do it? I think that's a tall order. I would say that there are some statistical reasons to think that Florida can make this a whole lot closer. And, you know, the problem is, is that Florida's defense has not forced many turnovers this year. Ugh. And, and you know, that quarterback the last two weeks and still um, haven't done it. And that's really the only time that Alabama loses is when they turn the ball over. When they turn the ball over, that's usually a hallmark for them losing. But here's what I'd tell you right now. If you look at yards per play allowed on defense, Florida's given up 5.3. Alabama's given up 4.7. So they're not that far off. They're better, but they're not that far far off. Yards per play on offense, Alabama's at 7.7. Florida's at 7.3. Again, not that far off. So you hit a couple of big plays, you get a turnover or two, and this game's going to be a lot closer than people think. And the other thing is, is that one of the things that you look at or that I thought is really interesting is Alabama only throws the ball 46% of the time, even though they have the number one ranked passing offense in the country. Now, obviously, some of that is because they're able to set it up with play action and set it mm-hmm. up with the running game. At the same time, they have the number one ranked passing offense in the country, and they're only throwing the ball 46% of the time. It, Florida's strength is on the defensive line. If they can, I mean, what I do is I just play zone all over the place and say, if you can run it seven yards a pop with Najee Harris, cool. Just let him do it. Run the clock. You know, basically, don't let Mac Jones beat you deep. Um, we'll see if Jalen Waddle comes back. That probably would be yeah. the final nail the coffin. I think, but- I think what, what I can put together is he's close to being back, but he won't be for this one. So, look, I mean, I, I'm not telling you Florida's going to win this game. I'm telling you that Sarkeesian relies on the running game in a way that he probably shouldn't based on the weapons that he has outside and the weapon that he has at quarterback. And it hasn't bit him yet, and they haven't even really been all that close yet. And I think Florida's going to struggle to stop him. At the same time, the numbers indicate that this game is a lot closer than the scores and the way Alabama's sort of just – waltz to to win suggests does that mean Florida's going to win no but i think you come out with a team that's ticked off and we saw it with lsu right those guys had some pride they got absolutely demolished yep. by alabama the week before and that's probably the worst thing that could happen to florida is if florida had, had lsu earlier in the year they would have just trounced them but you know it basically said hey we're going to throw in max johnson instead of tj Fenley because how much worse can it get um you know we're going to go to we're going to go to gainesville and and we're going to give it everything we have and if you don't give it everything you have we're going to take you off the field and, you know, more more power to them. But I think the fact that they got embarrassed the week before probably is one of the things that led LSU to play as well as they did against Florida. 
And so I'm hoping for the same thing, that Florida's players are embarrassed at the way that they played against LSU. They're embarrassed. They gave up the opportunity to make the playoff if they win this game, and they go out and give Alabama a game. I, I think this one's probably – I mean, it's a 17-point game, I think, is what Vegas has it right now. Yep. I think that's about right. But anybody who mm-hmm. thinks it's going to be like 52 to 7, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Florida's going to put up a pretty good fight. Alabama may pull away in the second half, but I think the numbers indicate this one. You know, Florida is a good team, not an elite team. Alabama, I think, is an elite team. But, you know, we just saw a really bad team beat a good team. And so if Alabama comes out and plays down a little bit and if Florida goes out and plays lights out, you know, the Gators have a shot. But, you know, I think going into the game against LSU, I would have said Florida had like a 10 or 15% shot against Alabama. I think that's probably about right right now too. And, you know, we'll see. Maybe they can pull it out. But uh, if not, <laughs> this has been a fun year. Like mm-hmm. I've enjoyed watching the offense grow. I've enjoyed watching Trask become – who Trask has become. I've enjoyed looking and going, whoo, like that's the kind of throw somebody in the NFL makes. Uh, I've enjoyed watching Pitts run up and down the field looking like he doesn't belong on a college field because he should be in the NFL already. <laughs> and to be honest, I've enjoyed seeing some of the some of the guys grow and improve and, and get better. You know, you look at the the offensive line, I think Stone better. What's that? Darius Tony for one too. Absolutely, Tony. I mean, he, he was he was real man the other night, yeah. going out there getting injured on the last the second to last play, and still uh, still going out and catching a nine yard pass to get him even closer. Um, it's been fun, right? I mean, that's the thing. Is this is supposed to be fun? This is supposed to be a sport where you're supporting your team. I get that people are upset about the cleat toss. I get they're upset about the interceptions. I get they're upset they didn't necessarily get what they wanted, you know, as as an outcome for the year, but. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that you support your team, one of the reasons you watch your team is because they have the opportunity to win and do something special, but they also have the opportunity to lose and and not accomplish it. And like I said, three and 30 years is what they've accomplished. They haven't won an SEC championship since 2008. Yep. So they won an SEC championship in 2020. That's a hell of a season. And I'm not going to diminish the SEC championship because they lost to LSU. I'm going to say, you know what? It's one more step forward. Why wouldn't you want to come play for the guy who takes down Georgia and Alabama with, you know, sort of, you know, the two-star quarterback and, and, and you know, a ragtag offensive line? Like, think about what would happen if he came here and gave him the horses to compete with those guys on a regular basis. I think it's a pretty good recruiting pitch, and we'll see whether it works on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've, um, yes, uh, signing day, early, early signing day coming up, of, uh, of course, so I won't forget that. Uh, we'll have Corey Bender on for Marvel, so he's going to hop on and, uh, breaks uh, early signing day for me uh, for, for us right here on Gators Breakdown with me on Wednesday uh, evening. Got that scheduled for seven o'clock right now, but I think uh, I think that's about the time there. But yeah, well, I didn't make it sound like I wouldn't be happy. I'm just saying the LSU game would be met with more criticism if you go out there and sure, I get it. Man. Look, I've been on Twitter. The whole fan base needs a hug. Like, <laughs> just the whole fan group base hug. group hug for the for the Gator fan base, and then yeah. one of those one of those. Uh, Jerks on Twitter would punch us in the face. We did it anyway. But, uh, you know, hey, like the Gator fan base is passionate. That's one of the reasons why it's fun to play. It's one of the reasons I really admire the guys who come to schools like Florida and and go out there because you could go to a Mac school and no one would pay any attention and you get burned and you're like, oh, we went seven and five. Uh, that, That stinks. Um, you know, but instead you, you decide to, to test yourself against the best, come to the SEC, have a fan base that's this passionate. And, you know, every week you go out there and you can be a hero. Every week you go out there and you can be a goat with everything on the line. Certainly uh, the goat <laughs> incident happened on Saturday, but uh, 
you know, that that's what you put on the line when you come to Florida. I think these guys have le- these guys learned something by going through this. I know Dallas Baker reached out to Marco Wilson mm-hmm. and sort of said, you know, hey, I've been through that, and he absolutely has. Right, the penalty that he got of the personal foul that cost Florida a game, and and uh, so he's gone through that. He's felt sort of the ire of the Florida fan base, though not with not through social media, but uh, you know, he's felt that he reached out, and certainly I think Dallas Baker is is a shining example of one overcoming that sort of thing, but two just sort of an exemplary uh, an exemplary example, you know, a great example of who we want the Gator alumni to be when they come out of the program. Um, and, and so, you know, hopefully that's, that's what comes to pass for Marco and, uh, and, and, you know, people will find it in their hearts to forgive him because, Hey, it's just a game, man. Yep. Yep. Um, well, well, this week was supposed to feel different. It was supposed to feel different. <laughs> then to, you know, uh, Saturday's game versus Alabama didn't turn out that way. Didn't turn out that way. We'll still, uh, I'll still put the, uh, the preview out there for first time in a while of getting to, uh, doing a SEC championship game preview. So that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Uh, and like, as I said, our early signing day on Wednesday, so it'll still be a busy week here uh, on Gators breakdown, but uh, we will break down Florida, Alabama, like we do uh, every game here. Looking forward. Look, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be going up to Atlanta to, to cover the game. So, um, you know, it'd be fun to uh, be fun to check out that atmosphere in person. I know it'd be a, a 2020 SEC championship game, not the usual atmosphere that uh, that, that game usually carries uh, right, right now, but uh, still be fun to see the Gators play one more time. Yeah, man. I mean, there's six other teams in the East that would love to be playing in this game on Saturday, including one that keeps telling me that if JT Daniels had been playing, that they would be in this game. So, you know, I'm enjoying hearing like the salty tears are still great. It's been a great season. I've enjoyed watching it. And, you know, yeah, this leaves a little bit of a bitter taste in your mouth. But at the same time, you know, we're playing freaking Alabama for the SEC championship. This is something where, uh, you know, you have an opportunity to really prove that you belong with the big boys. And maybe that's why you overlooked LSU last week. But, you know, you said that fans will look back and say, oh, God, that's LSU loss. We would have gone to the playoff. At the same time, it may, may be a turning point, right, where you yeah. look back. I, I really do think that that Michigan game in 2007 was a turning point. I think that all of a sudden, all offseason long, all those defensive backs – all the linebackers, all the guys on defense who'd gotten torched were paying very close attention to their coaches. We're putting in every extra rep in the weight room. We're running all the extra stadiums because they didn't want to get embarrassed again. And, you know, you do wonder whether this potentially could be a turning point where people realize, hey, we can't have different guys going in different directions, you know, with, with different priorities. We're going to have to come together as a team. We're going to have to back up our teammate who screwed up. We're going to have to go out there and, and, and show that, you know, we're better than that. And maybe that starts with Alabama this week. I certainly think a strong showing against Alabama this week would be an indication that the team has sort of rallied around these guys and, and has the program really headed in the right direction. So that's what I'm looking for this weekend. I mean, you know, a win would be great, but going out there and showing that you belong with Alabama, I think should be all the motivation these guys need and something that fans should really look forward to. Um, you know, Florida loses this game by a field goal or by seven points late or something like that. You know, give these guys a standing ovation because from where they were in 2017 when, you know, they couldn't get off the field against Georgia and when they were four and seven and when the coach had been fired and when there were like, you know, real divisions within the locker room, um, you know, to where they are now, I think is like night and day. Is it going to be good enough to win a national championship? You know, time's still going to tell on that. But man, this has been so much more fun than that 2017 year. 
And not even close, not even close. Yeah, but had, had a lot of fun, had a lot of fun with it. And it all culminates Saturday as Florida takes on Alabama. So that is Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and his uh, Twitter handle at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>